It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports comment center, with Rick Broering as we touch on local topics, sports-wise, national topics, and uh, who knows where we wind up with this podcast going. We may even shout at each other before it's all said and done. We got a lot of ground to cover. No guests today. We are guest-free, but we've got a lot of ground to cover otherwise, and Rick, take it away. We haven't shouted enough at each other no, recently. No, we haven't recently. We will in college basketball season, I believe. No doubt. Skinny, the Bengals lost their season opener at Seattle, but it didn't follow the script many anticipated as Cincinnati came up just a point short in a 21-20 loss to the Seahawks. Local and national media are giving the Bengals credit for keeping the game closer than expected, so we'll start off on a positive note. What impressed you most in the Bengals season opener? The fact that I think what they did on both sides of the ball is sustainable. That it's not like this one game fluke. Look, the league's fluky, right? There's occasionally, especially the first game of the year, you get a performance and you overreact. Like we overreact negative about the Browns and we overreact positive about pick a team that, that played well over the week. That's probably not when all is said and done. Well, the first that came to mind is Patriots, but I don't think that's an overreaction. I don't think that's I think an overreaction either. Good. I don't think that's, that's an overreaction <laughs> either. But there's always overreactions on week one. Sure. It's, just, it's the Ravens. natural thing to do. And the overreaction here is is wow. They they but the thing is it wasn't wow where you got some fluky things that happened. It was wow, you stood toe to toe with one of the best teams in, in the NFC. Um, I don't think they're the best, but I think they're one of the best. I think they're a playoff team. And I think moving forward, the things that you did on both sides of the ball are sustainable. I think to me that's that's the best part of you can hang your hat on some of the stuff that you watched and said, okay, they can keep doing that. Um, on both sides, it, it, and that's the part to me that I, I, I guess I like the most. I like the newness a lot. That 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 was fun to see some of it play out the way I thought it was going to play out. We talked a lot about the five man line. I know some people nationally are like, "Wow, they went with." Well, we've seen it. We wrote about it. We talked about it, and, and it came to fruition, and it looked great. So um, I, I just the, the, the stuff is sustainable. And I think you can you can see some of this progress moving forward. Now let's see the progress. Yeah, for me, it's the defensive front without question. What they did, um, and it's for the reason that you mentioned, it is sustainable. What the, the five down linemen and stuff that you had been mentioning, and I was skeptical. Like you kept saying, I'm anxious to see what Lou Anarumo has. I'm like, well, that's nice, but he was like the 16th choice for defensive coordinator. I wasn't that excited about it. I knew, you know, getting Carl Lawson back might help. Um, some of these other guys that maybe were got their feet wet last year, but didn't really quite get their feel of playing together, it all looked better. The whole unit as a whole, whether it was the linebacker, the defensive linemen, everybody in terms of rushing the passer looked like they were on the same page, looked great. I was really impressed with that. And I do think that unquestionably is sustainable. I think they've yeah. got the guys up front to do that all year, and that's going to make a huge difference for the defense. Going back to your point, though, I want to ask you how much, because you mentioned what they did offensively and it being sustainable, how much do you feel? I loved the offensive game plan. I loved all the screen passes. I thought the offensive line did a shockingly good job in a tough uh, against a tough matchup. Yes. How much of that do you think was a game plan that look they were throwing all those screens that kept those guys from pinning their ear backs and rushing the passer? How much of that is a game plan that worked for one week against an opponent that it works well against and no one had seen it yet? Versus how much is it this off th- these coaches? can make a different game plan every week and keep coming up with stuff to keep defenses on their Yeah, I, I thought Zach addressed that uh, after the game. Um, you know, they, they stayed in a, in a certain defensive look, basically a, a base defense the whole game, even when the Bengals went three wide. Because a lot of teams, when they see three wide, they come with their nickel group. They didn't for the most part. Now, they got their nickel corner hurt early. He went out, so maybe that's the reason they stayed in their base stuff. I think the fact that the Bengals looked and said, listen, if you're going to put seven there and we can't run block you anyway, 
and you're not going to cover us with 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 corners on some of our receivers. We're just going to drop back and keep throwing it. And it was wasn't a lot of screens. It was just a lot of quick stuff. In fact, honestly, a couple of screens. I mean, there was a throwback to Joe Mixon in the first quarter that was wide open. That Davian Clowney made a great play to bat away. They had a couple set up. They had one in the red zone. Um, where the, that ball that slipped out of Andy Dalton's hand, they thought that that would have gone for a touchdown. It was a screenplay that they had set yep. up. But I, the quick passing game, I think, helped the offensive line too. I do think they have to run the ball at some point to, to use some of their play action. They did play action and go deep um, a couple of times, obviously. I think the more they're able to run the ball, and hopefully they can, and I'm still, I told you last week, I'm a skeptic until I see otherwise. And yeah, some of it is predicated on Seattle decided you're not going to run the ball. We're going to make you throw the ball 50-some-odd times. Um, so, yeah, I, I do. I think I think that this coaching staff will look and go in with, you know, if we have to run the ball 52 times and pass it 17, that's what we're going to do. I don't think that's gonna, that, that just doesn't work in the NFL. But if we have to throw it 51 times and run it 8 or 10 or 12 or whatever and just occasionally hand it off, that's what we're going to do. I, I, I thought they did a good job even adjusting on the fly. Well, to a certain extent, I think that is the game plan that's going to work for this team because I don't think the offensive line is going to be able to overpower people. I don't know if they're going to be able to get this running game going to a point that, that it's going to be respectable. by Certainly not until Cordy Glenn comes back, right. at the very least. And so I wonder, I'm a little concerned about, like, I loved the way the offense looked. I loved the game plan. I was really, really impressed by the way they were able to kind of keep those guys at bay because we saw the first couple possessions, they didn't really have an answer for Javion Clowney. No, and, uh, no. It wasn't even answer. Who was the other guy for them that was really making a lot uh, of Jefferson, 99. Yeah, yeah, he was crushing them up front. So they did a great job of, despite being overmatched, finding a way to make the offense work. But I just worry, I'm like, the only thing is that might be the only thing that works all year. And when defenses see that enough on tape, they're going to start realizing, hey, that's a screen or it's a quick pass. Stay back, stay home. And all of a sudden that stuff won't work. And then Andy Dalton's going to be flustered. And we know how that gets. Yeah, and, that's, and that's possible. But I, I just I watched receivers get wide open in the preseason that I hadn't seen in a while and went, OK, maybe it's just the preseason. Um, but the separation was big. The separate, and he didn't have to make a lot of tight window throws. No, either. he really didn't. That's the thing. He really didn't. It was all design. It felt like. I mean, yes. you're right. The the receivers. It seemed they were coming open because of scheme. I mean, they were finding the open spots in the defense yes. based off of the play action, whatever they had set it up with. It was a masterful game plan. I really do think so. Yeah, you just had to finish, and that's well, the one and, thing they didn't do. And quite frankly, the coaches had nothing to do with. Drake Kirkpatrick slipping and falling, you know, right before touchdown. Andy giving the ball away. I mean, well, I mean they had like, so many miscues along the way. The missed field goal. I mean, Tyler Boyd slipping down the seam on the on the one play on third and one, and forced him to go on fourth and one. Didn't make the fourth and one. So yeah, I like I said, I think it's I think everything's sustainable, and I think there's other little parts that will get better. I mean, imagine AJ Green in that offense. Uh, Damian Wilson I thought did a nice job, but he's not. A.J. Green, okay? Let's put A.J. Green in that, that offense. Let's put Mixon for a full game with Cordy Glenn at left tackle and and be able to run the ball some because I think they will or get him more involved. The one thing that did surprise me is how little they got the backs involved as receivers in the passing game, out in routes. We talked about that. I, I thought that that would be more of it, and I, but I do think down the road that will be part of it. So there's a lot more for them to do. I think we'll see that, especially, I mean, if you're going to throw the ball 45 plus times a game, which I think that's going to be pretty consistent. 40 times a game, probably. Yeah, 45 to 50 is a lot. I mean, I can't imagine a quarterback throwing the ball 800 times a season. No, but I, I think he's going to be a over six, 40 almost every game. I think he'll be close to 600 attempts on the year. I, I will say that. Yeah, and um, I think to do that, you're going to have to get more creative and start involving the backs more, which I think they want I think, they I think too. Joe Mixon getting hurt probably changed a, changed lot a little yeah. bit of that as well. Yep, no doubt. 
Skinny, while there were some de- definitely some positives to take away from the loss, there were plenty of miscues as well. The Bengals were 0 for 3 on red zone opportunities, lost the turnover battle 3 to 1, only mustered 34 yards on 14 rushing attempts, and had a few insanely costly penalties. What concerned you the most about the Bengals' performance? Uh, the rushing game. Um, and, and yeah, I know that, that Seattle was in their, their base look, and they're a good front, and Bobby Wagner is the best middle linebacker in football, and um, a couple times he came unblocked, and when Bobby Wagner comes unblocked, he's going to tackle you for a loss. So there's that. But you gotta, you gotta do. I mean, you can't that you can't rush fourteen times for thirty four yards in this league. You can't, especially if uh, if your downfield stuff for the most part is predicated on play action. Eventually, if you can't run it a lick, your play action is not going to fake anybody. It's not going to draw anybody's attention. It's going to just simply be, oh, if they hand it off, we're still going to stop them at the point of attack. Our front four can get that job done. Uh, the red zone's interesting, and it's funny. I'm going to attack that a little bit today. Um, because I don't think we saw their red zone packages, and here's why. I'm going to go through all three red zone scenarios. And look, it, it, the number is the number. They were over 3, and that is correct. The first time they got to the red zone was the first quarter. They had a third and two at the 16, and it came um, – the Bengals were – the clock, play clock was winding down, and the Bengals ended up taking a delay of game. And instead of third and two at the 16, you're third and seven. That's a tough one to me. Yeah, I mean, can, we, can we talk about that for a second? Because yeah, the one, say, yeah, the one earlier, there's a one, is that the one where they, 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 no, they challenged the one earlier in the game, which I thought was silly too. But the third and two, you had to take a timeout there. You had to take a timeout there. Most of the game, I felt like this is different. Yes. This isn't Marvin-esque, right? I mean, going for it at the end of halftime and ending up getting a touchdown instead of just kneeling yes. the ball. I mean, that's so different from what we've seen with Marvin. Yep. So for the most part, I liked everything I saw and it did feel new. But man, I'll be honest, when they took a delay of game on third and two in the red zone, it could not have felt more like a no Marvin doubt. Lewis, same old, here we go again moment if you, I, you scripted it yourself. Yeah, that it, is to a T what we've been complaining about. For and the look, there, there, was, there was some disorganization with personnel groupings, and I'm, and I'm going to give them that for game one. You're, you're, sure. Okay, and that, and that happened on that play. But that doesn't mean you screwed up the personnel package, you got it in late. You were confused. It, it, it's game one. It's okay. I'd rather you take, and I know you lost the timeout earlier because of the challenge, which I thought was a terrible challenge to make. Challenge that, yeah. yeah, correct. It was a dumb challenge to make. But you got to call it here. You have to call it there. And that's where I'm going back to, yes, they were in the red zone, and that penalty actually took them out of the red zone. Right. So third and two became third and seven. Much tougher to make in a condensed part of the field. So that's red zone number one. Red zone number two was the third quarter. Andy drops back. Ball slips out of his hands. Plucked out of the air. And by the way, right before that was the interception, or yes, the fumble, fumble, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, and Dre Kirkpatrick was the one, um, it was forced by Preston Brown, but Dre Kirkpatrick scooped it up, scooped it up and there was nothing but Bengals I know. jerseys lining the sideline for him as he was going, and he tripped over his own feet. Well, he, and we don't, I mean, he, he was stunned a little bit. Do you know why? This stunned me. I looked it up after the game. Do you know why? Why is that? It's the first fumble he's ever recovered in the NFL. Are you serious? I was stunned at that. I mean, you'd think in... One would squirt to yes, at some point. Yes, the, He actually had a sack in the game, too. He's had three sacks in his career. He's had more sacks than fumble recoveries, which doesn't sound right for a defensive back. Shocking. So maybe he just didn't know what to do with it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it. and he really did just stumble. I mean, it was such a Drake Kirkpatrick moment, it felt like. Yes. That and him yes. shoving shoving a guy Yes, up. but th- th- that's that, that's red zone opportunity number two. They thought, and in fact, after the game, they said they thought they had a play that was going to work if the ball doesn't slip out. I mean, I, I will say the 15-minute window of heavy rain couldn't have come at a worse time for the Bengals. There... The bullet field goal. And the other time they got in the red zone was on, was on a penalty. They had first and goal at the four. On first down, they try a run left, and Andre Smith gets called for the lone penalty. The offensive line got called for the entire game, a holding penalty. That puts you back now first and 10 back at the – I mean, excuse me, first and goal at the 14. That's a lot different red zone opportunity. Again, I'm not making excuses. You're in the red zone. 
You need to execute in the red zone. You need to and you need to show your red zone stuff. I don't. That's the thing. I don't think they got a chance to show any of the red zone stuff because they never really got to it. That's the right term. They didn't give themselves a chance in the red yeah, zone. Yeah, and that, that's to me that was sort of disheartening because it very much felt same old bangle type stuff. And this has nothing to do with the coaching staff. Right. I mean, the ball slipping out of Andy Dalton's hands. That's just football. That's like, weird. You can't yeah. do anything about it. It just happens. Andy, say, Andy said he never had it happen to him before, which right. I found stunning actually. But he said he's never had a ball just slip right. out of his hands like that. It's just one of those things in sports. I mean, there's no one to get mad at it. Yeah. Just, it just happened. Get mad at the rain gods. It just started to rain hard, but it really did. I mean, all those missed opportunities. It's, it's going back to the Bengals beat themselves in a game. They should have won. I mean, it just, it's hard to get over that feeling of same old, here we go again mentality when you've watched a team lose for so many years. I'm no sure doubt. every fan base feels that way when you've been losing for a decade or more. Um, but yeah, th- those moments were tough to swallow. But I do, I do take solace in the fact that, like you said, they never gave themselves a chance. It's not like they didn't execute in the red zone. They just kept screwing themselves right. before they could even get to that point. Right? Yeah, third and two becomes third and seven. Missed opportunity because they didn't complete on third and seven. Tougher thing. Ball slips out of quarterback's hands. Holding penalty on first down puts you off schedule. It just, they never got to, I think, what they wanted to really do in the red zone because they were always off schedule. One of them self-inflicted. Take the damn time out. Yeah, and then on the flip side of that, when when you look at their defense, one of the touchdowns they gave up was aided by on third and long after they got a stop. Dre hops up and shoves, gets into a yeah. shoving match. That was that actually dude. sad. It would have been, it would have been third down, it would have been third and long. But yeah, he gave him a free first down off of that, off the plate of Chris Carson. Oh, really? I thought it was. I thought they were going to have to punt after that. But either, but either way, I mean, it was just an in, inexcusable penalty that uh, set them up for first down when they were going to be in a tough situation. Yeah, here I'm going to double check it. It was a bad penalty. I will. I will concur with you on that portion of the program. Yeah. It came. Let's see. I got it. it. Was a second and three on the thirty, uh, incomplete pass to, to to Chris Carson. That was the unnecessary reference. So it would have been third and three on Seattle's thirty. Instead, it became first and ten at the forty-five, and that's when they took the deep shot to DK Metcalf, who caught the ball. And instead of again third and three back at the thirty, within two plays, it's first and ten at the Bengal thirteen, and they end up scoring the touchdown. Yeah. So, so okay, the fact that it would have but been just third changed down isn't momentum, as bad, but, it but still, still it's still bad. I mean, yeah. it, it gave him a free fifteen and gave him the the ability to breathe and go. All right, let's take a shot let's now. Take a shot, sure. It mm-hmm. totally changes. It's Especially because the Bengals' defense was really playing well at that yeah. point, too. It could have sort of took the air out of their sails. Yeah. All right, Skinny. Despite missing all of the preseason, John Ross stepped up and hauled in seven catches for 158 yards and two touchdowns in the first game under his new coaching staff. Do you think that outburst was a sign of things to come for the ninth overall pick from the 2017 draft? Or was it just a few big plays against the team that he matched up well against? I think it's a sign of things to come. Uh, maybe I'm being overly optimistic. I told you last week that, that um, you know, he said he's healthy. He said he feels like he's got another gear, and it sounds all good. Um, and I said last week, okay, now produce. And I think I even said, I said, I don't think I need you to catch nine for 180. We came damn close to, to it. I said, but I need to see something. And I thought we saw something. I thought we saw him. It wasn't just cutesy plays for him. I thought we'd see some more of those cutesy plays, some bubble screen stuff, just get his hands on the ball, reverse here and there stuff. No, they threw they threw crossing routes to him. They threw deep corners to him. They threw the ball down the field to him. There's a novel concept. Just let it fly a couple of times. The flea flicker. I mean, all those things. I think it is a sign of things to come as long as he stays healthy. That's yep. that that's the part that you got to hold your breath on because he's not proven to be a durable guy to this point in his career. But um and he still, you know, he dropped a couple of balls, dropped the crossing route right before he caught that great touchdown down the middle and he admitted it. He goes, "I did such a he said I goes, I I, I even asked him I said, in your mind after you dropped the ball, how good was it to get on the, get an opportunity the next play?" He goes, "Yeah, he goes, you know, I I 
He goes, since I came back to practice, he goes, I've been catching it so good. He goes, I think I've only had like one drop. He said, all of a sudden, I don't look a pass in. He goes, I got to stop that kind of stuff. Well, I like the fact, okay, great. You get it. You you you, you get that point of it. Um, but I think it also built his confidence that Andy trusted him to take another shot. And yeah, the safety misplayed the ball. So give the, give that a little bit to it because he mistimed his jump and I think misjudged the ball. But John also jumped up to catch the ball and made a terrific catch yeah. for the touchdown. And I thought he did did a lot of great things in that game. I think he is going to be inconsistent in yes. general. I mean, especially no one's going to haul in 158 yards a game, you know, for the most part, except for the elite of the elite. But he, it, it feels different. And he said, yet after the game or maybe the next day, I'm not sure, um, that it felt nice to be part of the, feel like he was part of the offense right. and know that he was supposed to be right. making plays and stuff. And that's just it. It never felt like the other coaching staff accepted him into the game plan. It was I think, all- but I, I do think some of that was John, too. I do. I don't know if he was ever... The thing is, I, I don't know if he was ever fully healthy. I really don't. That might and be I think true. As an, you know as an athlete, if you're not fully healthy, you're, you're giving it your all. Your all just isn't good enough, or you don't have the confidence to do some things. I think he's fully healthy, and he had confidence to go make plays and made them. And they... Once you see him start doing it, you're like, well, damn, okay, this is a different John. Let's do it. I'll agree with all that, but I'll also say, if I'm John Ross the last few years, and I'm reading the types of things Marvin Lewis is saying about me to the media, not even to my face, but to the media all the time about why I'm not, you know, because the media was constantly asking about it because it was a first-round draft pick, and he was producing not at all for two years, and people kept asking, and Marvin was getting frustrated, so he was taking that out on John, essentially, with his statements by throwing him under the bus consistently in my opinion and, and to me it felt like you know what john I'm said i'm gonna be a butt here in a second well that, and that's fine i know it's coming i know it's on him and he gets paid tons of money to do so but i'm just going to say like i think sometimes it matters how your coaches treat yeah. you and if you feel like you belong in a room or not i don't think john ross probably ever felt like he belonged with the Bengals from the moment marvin lewis inherited him because marvin made it very clear that he didn't want to draft him with that pick so i think it was a tough situation to me i think john ross is going to become finally become a weapon i don't think he's going to be the elite of the elite and get 158 yards and two touchdowns every game but i do think he will be a nice second to third option behind aj green and probably tyler boyd when everybody is healthy and that's a big thing for this football team yeah i think what you just said is true but i also think what some of marvin said is true i yes i I do i think i think john didn't get it i really don't think he got it of course i think you're Absolutely right. But what's what do you think the better scenario if you're trying to win football games is is to say, screw this guy, he doesn't get no it. He, we're with I, him I or to, against him. I need to use him. Or are you gonna try to say, like, man, let's let's try to love on this guy a little bit and try to get his head in the game to where he is on our side and, and that's we can where, make him a fit. And that's where when this hi- coaching staff was hired, it, this was okay, John, you got a fresh start. Let's see something. All right. We saw something. Great. That's exactly what you wanted. Part, part of the hiring of Zach Taylor was to get more out of Andy Dalton, to get more out of this offense, to get something out of John Ross. Hey, check, check, check. I guess here's my point. Have you listened to the previous regime talk about John Ross? You would have thought, quite honestly, he was an idiot who didn't understand the playbook and didn't really care about learning. If you listen to the new staff talk about him, you would have thought he's a guy who is nonstop in his playbook, watching film nonstop, wants to do the right things all the time, is always there working. I'm sure the truth probably falls somewhere in between, yeah. or maybe it's maybe it's more towards the former. And the and previous regime was right. All I know is this regime sure as heck would make me want to play for him a whole lot more. Yeah, but don't forget the wide receiver coach is the same guy. It was the same guy under Marvin. It's the same guy now. And yeah, but, and Bob McNeils liked him a lot, and he's talked hi- highly of him. Yeah, but, but you know Bob what? doesn't have final say the, on who plays, who plays, how he's and he used, also doesn't talk to things. the media. That's right. I, Marvin yeah, a Lewis bit, is the one talking. Yeah, a little to the media. bit. But Marvin's the face of it. Sure. Right. And, and uh, yeah, I, there's no doubt Marvin did not want to draft him. And hey, look, I get some of that. If Marvin thought they 
needed something else at the time, and that's my football team. I wanted something else. Of course, and I didn't want to, want them to draft him either. I didn't I'm either. with Marvin on that. All I'm saying is yeah. from the John Ross perspective, I can understand why it would have been hard to succeed under the previous regime yes. and why your mindset might not have been the most confident. No, I, I, I think moving forward, the thing is, yeah, he's not going seven for 158. That would put him on pace for 2,300 yards. Nobody's done yeah. that. There's no Jerry Rice's around anymore. But um, anyway... The one thing it will do is now teams will scheme against John, right? Now you're going to go, oh, crap, that guy's now something we have to look for. And guess what? Then it frees up other guys. And when A.J. Green comes back, holy cow, if you're having to stop John Ross and A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd's going to go 15 catches for, he'll go 15 for 150. I think you'll see this each game. John was the high guy in targets. He had 12 targets. He did drop two balls. Can't have that. That's that's not a good pace. Well, I mean, that's and a, that, that's the issue for him. He doesn't catch the ball very well, and that those both of those balls were very oh, very catchable. The crossing route was insane. I mean, it just was insane. I mean, that that might have gone for a touchdown too, to be honest with you. But that was the play before he caught the touchdown. Yeah, so, so he made he, up for it. He made up for it in a big way. Skinny Ohio State outgained Cincinnati five hundred eight to two hundred seventy three in total yardage on the way to a forty two zero win over the Bearcats in Columbus on Saturday. Did Ohio State's massive victory over UC tell you more about the Buckeyes or the Bearcats? I think more about Ohio State. I UC just I, I got a chance to I was flying to Seattle that day and I felt lucky because I got to the uh, got to Los Angeles Airport had a couple hour layover and literally walked off my plane and my gate that I was connecting to was next to that gate and there was a nice little bar right there and Ohio State had just scored seven nothing UC I'm watching them drive. They go forward on fourth down. I'm, I'm kind of excited to go, all right, settle in. Let's be great. I can watch the whole first half here. I can watch the next half on the airplane. This will be perfect. And so they drive down. They then have to try to kick a field goal. Field goal gets blocked. Then the kid, the the uh, the transfer from Alabama gets hurt um, on the next drive. And it felt like from that point forward, the wind just went out of UC. Um But I think Ohio State had a lot to do with that. Uh, Justin Fields, we said, can you make some tough throws? He made some great throws. He was really impressive in this game, I thought. I thought he was – he put himself in the Heisman race yeah, very, very, very quickly. And, look, I'm, I I was skeptical only because I haven't seen it before. And well, I, the first I, week really did nothing for me. I mean, yeah, he me was either. fairly accurate enough, but he did nothing that was really impressive. This game, he made some plays. Yes, the Ohio State defense, I thought, looked very lethargic against Florida Atlantic. Some of that is they built the big lead, and that's, you know, start rolling subs in and all those things. They dominated. Yeah. Um, I think it does show that UC is going to have some problems up front, unlike last year, to run the football. I asked Tony Pike on a podcast he and I do yesterday if they put too many eggs in, in the James Hudson basket, and he said, I think they probably did. They spent all of spring with him as a starter. Suddenly he doesn't get the waiver claim. Suddenly you're scrambling on your offensive line. They benched the Lorenz Mets on, on, on Saturday in the third quarter, the left tackle, so they're now already – I mean, you're two games in and scrambling to try to find offensive line, and that's before – a guy gets hurt or two, and then you're scrambling even more. So what should be the bread and butter for UC offensively, that running game with an improved Des Ritter to go along with it, the running game just, I don't know if it's going to be what it was last year, even close. I, I think Michael Warren still is. He's a great back, but you can't run if you can't, can't don't have any holes to run through. So I think that, that got exposed there that, okay, you know, game one, they didn't run it great either. They ran it good, not great. It and wasn't sharp. It wasn't sharp. Not when they needed okay, it. Okay, you think, all right, just you did enough. Um, they didn't hear. Now, the only thing that's a little discouraging is just when you look at the schedule ahead. It, it, it's got, I mean, Memphis is pretty good. Houston's better than they were last year. Um, I don't think UC, USF is, is very good, so that, that, that helps a little bit. I mean, suddenly this, this game with Miami becomes pretty pivotal because um, you can be feel, feeling sorry for yourself and what was us. 
and it's this rivalry game, and Miami's better than they were, and they're the ones that, that have the chip because they haven't won the victory bell in so long, and suddenly they sneak in and beat you. And then you got to play Marshall, which stood toe-to-toe, and I watched almost all that game last Friday night. They stood toe-to-toe with Boise. I mean, honestly, yeah. I don't think they should have beat Boise. Boise killed themselves with a couple of turnovers, but still, toe-to-toe with Boise in Boise. That's sure, certainly not a gimme. That's going right. to be a tough game. Um, and that's... I. I don't know how the offensive line situation fixes itself. I, I don't. Maybe you get lucky and plug a guy in and he performs off the charts. But that that was the discouraging thing to me is just. And look, I I'm not here to tell you they were. I think I picked. I thought I had UC scoring 24 points, something along those lines. That was probably high. I, I, if you'd have told me they scored 17, I'd have said that's probably about right. I mean, they they really didn't sniff the end zone till late. I mean, they really didn't. Yeah, not even close. Um, so it's sounding like you're saying, you said you learned more about Ohio State, but it sounds like you're saying an awful lot more about UC. Yeah, but... What what you I, like I, about Ohio State? I mean, aside from Justin Fields, what would they show you? I, just some more consistency on offense and, and, and the defense just dominating. Because yeah, that defense had nine starters coming back, and I expect, I expect that defense to dominate Florida Atlantic. And again, I got to give that a caveat because it's first game, big lead, rolling subs through, okay. But I still expected them to dominate. I agree with what you're saying overall. That game did show a dominant a dominance from Ohio State that we didn't see in week one, and we, we needed to know if it was there, especially, you know, when you're talking about a new quarterback. I was a little iffy on Justin Fields after week one through nothing he really did, but just because of, like, we didn't get to see it. And um, this, was, this was impressive, what he did here. But I learned more about UC because the offensive line is it, it's worrisome. Yeah. I mean, the way that... Ohio State just ran right through them and were not not just stopping the running game, but attacking the quarterback. Yeah. It got Desmond Ritter hit, hurt briefly. Fortunately, it doesn't look like he's right. going to be out long. But, I mean, that's that, that puts you... When you have an offensive line that's that porous, that puts you back into sort of every game is up for grabs mode. You know, you're no longer this team that, yeah, we're at the top of our conference and we expect to win the conference type team. You're all of a sudden like every game is a scrap. Yes. Because you don't have a bunch of four stars and even five star talents like something those high major schools do. Your skill guys aren't heads and shoulders above everybody else. You've got to win up front at the point of the attack. That's what they they did last year under Luke yes. Fickle. That's what made them impressive on both sides of the ball. I'm seeing it at times from the defense still. It looks like defense still smacks. Yeah, yeah, and I think some of the defense is, you know, you're not sustaining drives, so you're on the field a bunch Forever. against a talented yeah. offense. Look, if UC had played well defensively, I mean, played great defensively, Ohio State was still scoring 24 to 30 points. Sure. Even if they'd have played a really good game defensively. Yeah. So, and I thought, you know, the... Ohio State made some plays to beat them. I didn't think the defense was embarrassing or anything. No. They, they were okay. Um, the offense, though, just to me, it's th- that offensive line is a major, major concern. And the fact that when it came down to it, when you needed it most, the defense was getting bullied up front a little bit, too. Their, their inconsistency up front on both sides is going to be a major issue, I think. That's where I think the Miami game is going to show me more. You, you need to bully Miami. And, you have to and, dominate. And, and if you don't bully Miami, I'm not telling you you need to win 45-10. to 10. I'm just talking about up front. If you yeah, don't you bully Miami, line of scrimmage. I'm not sure who you're bullying the rest of the year. And then suddenly you have to retool what you're doing offensively on the fly. Yeah, and I, I it's a little bit of a concern, especially because they didn't look great against UCLA. No. They did enough, but I thought UCLA looked pretty bad. Yeah. UCLA, or UC looked just above pretty bad. And UCLA then follows it up by losing at home to San Diego State. And it's the San Diego State's got a nice program, all those things. Yeah. UCLA does not. That, That's not a good UCLA dude, team. You, you, don't, you don't lose to non-Power 5 conference teams back-to-back as a Power 5 team from Los Angeles from a program like UCLA, Can't so happen. that that shows me that yeah they, they I don't think they've taken strides forward at all UCLA meaning so maybe that win wasn't as good as I I wanted to chalk it up to be no and honestly when we saw it happen it was like this is not impressive football UCLA looks awful and UC looks 
Uh, yeah. Okay. Right. Skinny University of Kentucky quarterback Terry Wilson will miss the rest of the 2019 season after suffering a torn patellar tendon in his left knee in the third quarter of Saturday night's 38-17 win over Eastern Michigan. On the season, Wilson was 33 of 52 for 360 yards and two touchdowns. He also had 44 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown. He'll be replaced by redshirt junior Sawyer Smith, a transfer from Troy. Smith finished Saturday's game 5 of 9 passing for 76 yards and two touchdowns after replacing Wilson. Last year at Troy, he stepped in for an injured starter six games into the season and went 5 and 2 the rest of the way, completing 144 of 229 passes for 1,669 yards and 14 touchdowns, while also rushing for 191 yards and a score. My question is, what does the loss of Terry Wilson mean for UK's football season? After watching them for a game and a half offensively with Terry Wilson, I didn't watch Saturday, I was watching it on my phone, um, I thought, huh, this offense has a chance to be pretty good. Um, you got some receiving weapons. Um, yeah, you missed Benny Snell, but you got enough quality backs. You got a good offensive line. I don't think they're going to skip a beat, and Terry Wilson might be the reason why they're not going to skip a beat. Now, you have to hope that that somehow Sawyer Smith is the magic man, and um, it's a big step up from Troy to the Southeastern Conference. Now, I will say, though, Sawyer Smith has completed a pass to an NFL wide receiver before. Yeah. Damian Willis. I'm going to ask. I'm going to talk to him today about Sawyer Smith. (laughs) I want to get the lowdown on Sawyer Smith from Damian Willis uh, just because. There's there's an irony here, too. Gunnar Hoke, who was at Kentucky last year, was the backup quarterback and got pissy and mad and decided him and his his mom was always on social media about he should play over over Terry Wilson, all those things. And so he took his ball and went home and went to Ohio State to compete for the starting job. And what did Ohio State do? They brought in Justin Fields. How's that looking now? How are we looking, Gunnar Hoke? You'd be the starter right now for the rest You'd of the year, You'd be the Bob. starter right now for the last 10 games. On a team that, quite honestly, is pretty good. Your best weapon is wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Your offensive line is very strong. You're running the ball fine. It's a, it's a position for you set up to succeed in. I'll be honest here. It's it stinks for this UK team. It really stinks for Terry, Terry Wilson. Wilson. Absolutely, because he you know he fought through. A, I thought a tough sophomore year yep. where he played. He made plays when he needed to, but he had an up and down year. But he stayed confident and, and led a team that was ready to play play high level SEC football. And it, and it looked like they were starting to take the wraps off of him a little bit more this year. That okay, look, we need you. Last year was almost like all right, you're Game just manager. here, just don't mess up and give the ball to Benny and our defense will win games. Um, and he did. And he made some. I mean, the, the drive against Missouri, he made some big plays and big throws. He did. And, and, and he made them when they needed them. Yes, in big games. Yes. And and so this year it felt like all right. You're the focal point. You're more of a focal point. And he was performing pretty well as that focal point. And boom, now you're done. I feel for the kid. I, I, I always feel for the kid in that situation. I really feel bad for him. And I also think there's there's no doubt this is a less than ideal situation for UK. I'm not trying to make it seem like anything else. I will say, it does, it does not seem like their coaching staff really trust Terry to throw the ball downfield. You're right. They were taking the wraps off a little bit a little this bit. year, but against bad competition. Mm-hmm. And they were also... Yeah, and, and, yeah, that remained to be seen if they would do that into SEC play. Right. You're right. And to be honest with you, like we saw last year when he did throw the ball downfield, he's not the most accurate. Uh, he has an okay arm, but he's not the most accurate. He's got Lynn Bowden, though. He does have Lynn Bowden, but... So will Sawyer Smith. So will Sawyer Smith. Yeah. And Sawyer Smith, the, the sort of the thing about him since high school, and, and the, the thing about they liked about him when they got him from Troy was he throws a really accurate deep ball. I'll be honest. like I'm not saying he can be Terry Wilson, but they weren't using Terry Wilson's legs a whole lot anyways. And to right. be honest, that's the best part of his game is his athleticism. Agreed. And so Sawyer Smith, he was, he was 
a, a dual threat guy himself. He can run a little bit. But if you're not going to use the athleticism, that's not how you play. You're doing a lot of uh, read option type stuff anyway, or RPO stuff, I should say. Yeah. Not read option, but run pass option. Um, he can do that. That's the type of quarterback he is. It's funny. I, I think one of the highlights um, I saw of Damian Willis after the Bengals had drafted him, a couple of video highlights, was Sawyer Smith throwing a deep ball to him. Now, it also was Damian made a great catch on the ball yeah. they showed. But I, I think it was Sawyer Smith making the throw to him. So, okay, let's see it. Yeah, I, I think for this UK team, they are one of the teams sort of set up. Last year, they had a quarterback that they really didn't trust all that well. So they sort of hit him. They bring a lot of, you know, again, we talked about their weapons, the offensive line. They've got a good running game. They've got all the other things to kind of help hide him again. Yeah, it would have been nice if you had that experienced quarterback you already had for once. But if Sawyer Smith isn't, isn't you know, a, an all-SEC quarterback, I think they've kind of got a team to hide him. They're already built for that. Yeah, and, and, and granted, it was Eastern Michigan, but he had to come in in, in, in that game on Saturday. It wasn't garbage time. I mean, Eastern Michigan kind of they didn't get back completely, but they got a little bit back into the game, and he threw a couple touchdowns. So, I mean, he had to do something in that game and, and did it. Now, granted, you're taking a, I mean, you're taking a huge step up playing Florida um, in, in your first start in that against that competition. But um, I remember when he transferred in, I thought, that seems odd. Why would the kid from Troy think that he's going to come here and do a lot of anything and he's going to be a backup anyway? Well, voila, the kid wound up, he's going to be starting some SEC football games. Yeah, and I mean, he did have other offers when he decided to transfer. Yeah. It wasn't like UK was the only school that wanted him. So it, it'll be interesting to see. I Look, I, I don't think, um, you know, just because, like it, if they lose the Florida game, it's probably too early to freak out about everything right. because that's a tough game for him to step into. At the same time, he could be a total flop. In two or three weeks from now, we might be like, oh, God, this is a disaster yeah. for them. At the same time, if he is competent at all, I think this coaching staff combined with the group of guys that are on this team currently are kind of set up to su- sustain their success. I don't know if it changes my prediction for their win-loss record all yeah, that much. The, the, the one positive would be is this offense is not built around the quarterback. You're, right. not, you're not asking the quarterback to throw it 45 times a game. You're just not. Correct. Um, so that if that was the case, then yeah, maybe. So I'm with you. I, I'm really interested to see how Saturday turns out. I, I still give them a, a punch or a double-digit dog, I think. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um I still give them a, a decent chance. The thing that's impressed me, actually, for them has is, is been, uh, the, I think, the defensive backfield has played pretty well the first couple of games. Again, i got to yeah, give the that's competition, the competition level, I think, for now, but, but they've been better than expected yes. to this point. Yeah, agreed. All right, let's switch gears here before we get to some betting lines, Skinny. The Reds outfielder... <laughs> Reds outfielder Michael Lorenzen. Yeah, let's call him that. <laughs> I like it. Reds outfielder Michael Lorenzen has pitched two and two-thirds innings, played 13 innings in the field, and had seven plate appearances over the last eight days. Last Wednesday, he picked up the win on the mound, hit a home run, and played center field, becoming the first player to do that since Babe Ruth did it for the Yankees in 1921. The next day, he started in center field, and on Sunday, David Bell brought him in to pinch hit in the ninth inning of a tie game against the Diamondbacks. Lorenzen battled for nine pitches before lacing an RBI double down the left field line for a walk-off win. My question is, do the Reds need to get more serious about making Michael Lorenzen a two-way player? We talked about it before the season, and it, it seemed like it was going to be a thing. It never became a thing this year, really. All of a sudden, now they're making a thing, and voila, he's making all types of plays. I think they do because he's a relief pitcher. And, and, he, he, he's, and he's been not he's, your guy He's been time. inconsistent, but he's been pretty good. But yeah, he, in theory, in pecking order... He's your third guy. I mean, in, in, in theory. And you can make him fourth it, or fifth if you needed to. It's not it's, like it's he's... It's Iglesias, Garrett, and then Lorenzen will be your third. And and if, if, if it means he plays a little bit more as a position player and pitches one day less a week, 
I'm, I'm, I might be okay with that. I mean, he's a pretty good defender out there. Yeah, well, that's um, the other he's thing. He's got they, obviously an arm. They actually need defenders yeah. out there right now, and he's filled that role nicely. Yeah, he, he, he swings the bat well. He has a good approach at the plate. Um, do I think he can be a 300 hitter over 300 bats? Boy, I don't know, but do I like him in a in a in a pinch? Yeah, I I do. I I don't know if it's a full time two way player though, but I, maybe it is. I because I, I, I the guy hits. I mean, my it's always hard to do it because the sample size is so daggone small. And that's the that's the problem for the the coaching staff, right? If you if you do this, and then all of a sudden you're in a situation where you needed a bullpen arm, and you go, ah, oh, we can't use him. He played center field all day yesterday, and we don't want to pitch him today or something like that. Then everyone's going to call you an idiot. You're going to yeah, look dumb for but, doing. But look, that. if he played center field, let's just say he plays center field in the day and doesn't make a throw or doesn't have to make a, a, a um, or he makes two throws or make a high leverage right, throw. Neither okay? of them are gunning someone down at home. Then, then look, you got your running in in the outfield. That was your running day. Your running day was running in the outfield. Now you go pitch the next day. That stop would, treating guys with. Kid. The thing is, everybody gets treated with kid baseball gloves. players. Yeah. Look, he wants to. He wants to do this. Right. It's like saying so you're putting a gun to his head and go, Mike. We got to have you, man. Dude, I'm out of gas. No, he wants to do this. And you're not ruining an ace starter or a closer. You know, he's not, you're just giving added value to a guy. He's not the elite at his position. No. So it's not like you need to be like, oh, it'd be crazy to to screw him up here. I think you've got to give him the chance, especially skinny. This is no longer him getting. Uh, an at bat because he's a pitcher who can hit, so they let him stay in the game a little longer, and and the other pitcher grooves him one, so he Correct. jacks it. It's no longer he gets a random pinch hit because he's going to come into the lineup, and and again he gets an early fastball and he hits it out of the park or something like that. This is a guy who came into a tie game in the ninth inning and battled for nine pitches of a high leverage at bat, fought off multiple good pitches, and then laced an RBI double to win the game. Uh, the guy can hit. Yes, it's he not can. like it's not. A joke or or a thing that's cute because it's happy. He has enough strength and athleticism to to hit a ball out occasionally. He is a legit hitter. So let's see. Like we made such a big deal out of Shohei Otani, and just the other night on Baseball Night, they were showing the stats. All of Lorenzen's stats are better the last two years. Now, of course, it's fifty-eight at bats versus seven hundred. So I mean, there's no way you can compare them. But in the sample size, he's done. He's he's gotten the job done. He's putting up numbers, and it's again, it's no longer become a novelty thing that he's doing just because he stayed in the game for an extra at bat or something as a pitcher. He is getting legit at bats as a center fielder, and he's making good use of them. Agreed. I, I think I think it's an interesting thing for them to decide because it feels like they're almost doing this as an audition basis here at the end of the year to see is this really going to work. Hmm, if it does, let's try it next year going into spring training. They need an outfielder next year. They do. The, the issue becomes, though, like they need an everyday outfielder. If he ends up being their best option, then what do you do? You play him three days a week and substitute and play a platoon for the other two? Or maybe. Play? Maybe. I mean, maybe that's what it comes down to. I, I, I think okay that might it. be their best option because they don't have anyone clearly taking over those other outfield positions. I always thought that the back in the day that and I got to go to the back in the day day machine for you. I, Bobby Thigpen, who was a closer for the White Sox, was on a Mississippi State team with Jeff Brantley, Will Clark, Rafael Palmero. Bobby Thigpen was the closer. He was a closer in the big leagues. Was that old man Thigpen's boy? That was old man Thigpen's boy. He was. actually hit fifth in that lineup. He hit right behind Will Clark, Rafael Palmero, and there was Bobby Thigpen. I, I was always surprised the White Sox never gave him in a batter too. But you know what? Oh my God, he's a pitcher. Don't touch him. Leave him alone. He may have he may have some kind of disease. Don't touch him. <laughs> I just Come don't on. understand that. I don't either. All right, let's get to some college or uh, some betting lines in general. Let's here. do it. All right, a couple quick things here. We were keeping track of records last week. We actually both did well. You went ten and five. It's pretty good against the number. Yeah, of course you're including uh, an extra loss in that. I am because you picked Tennessee Tech to beat 
Miami. Do you, we know that they covered? We don't know if they covered, though, because we didn't have a line. Here's the thing. You took the money line. You lost. You took the money line. <laughs> okay. All right? So you okay. lost. I took Miami on the money line. I won. So there we go. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but I went 12-3. and three. My losses were UC. I did have the under in that game. I lost uh, the total in the Green Bay-Chicago game. I had Green Bay, but I also had it going way over at 51. And I had... Um, for whatever reason, I took the Steelers getting six, but I hit the over there. So those were my only losses. Everything else was a win. I swept the Denver-Oakland game, swept the Houston-New Orleans game, swept the Bengals game, and swept the Kentucky game. You split Ohio State, swept Kentucky, split the Thursday night game, split the Bengals, swept the Sunday night game. You had, you had 42-35. You had a high-scoring game. Well, you gave the Steelers a lot of credit with the 35 there, apparently. Holy you didn't cow. have to say that part. I just wanted to hear that I got both of those you did, right. You did. Yeah. You split. Uh, you split the Monday night game. The, the Houston New Orleans. I take it back. You actually swept that game. No, you didn't because it didn't cover. No, you you had New Orleans. That's right. They, yeah. they didn't cover. So yeah, you split that game and you swept the Monday night. The second Monday night game, you had uh, Oakland and the under fourteen to ten was the final there for you. So good week. Ten and five for you. You're fourteen and nine overall. I'm seventeen and six overall. Yeah. So I mean, you just had an outstanding week. You're on fire. So if you're fading skinny right now, it's not the best choice in the world. That's correct. Exactly right. Now I I probably need to find a way to the Hollywood Casino Sportsbook. Correct. Yes. You, you have not made it over I'm yet. Not. I I just haven't had the time to do it. So I I did go on Friday night um, before the weekend of games because I wanted to get in Lawrenceburg in. yeah we had talked about the UC and Ohio State game so much I wanted to get down on that one um, so I went in there Friday night you just want to get bet against UC is all you wanted to do <laughs> well I, I I didn't necessarily want to bet against UC but I did want to bet against them in that game I also wanted to get down on LSU versus Texas because Texas is never back folks we keep hearing it. They're never back. Yeah, I, th- I think LSU's pretty good, though. Yeah, I do, too. Actually, right, Texas, Joe, Joe, Joe Texas played pretty well. Yeah, they did. Um, that being said, don't bet. It, don't bet for I'm Texas. with you. Anyway, I went in the bar, the sportsbook bar that they actually have out there, which is outside the actual casino there on the second floor. It was a little crowded. Um, they, were, they were sitting people at tables. So I was like, is there anywhere else I can place my bets? And they said, yeah, there's actually kiosks inside. So I went in there, and there are four kiosks set up inside the actual casino where all the games are, card games, card tables, and uh, slot machines and all that. And uh, so I set up at those. The only thing is with it only being four and the fact that guys are – like, if you're there on a Friday night, guys are placing bets for the weekend, right? They're not up yeah. there betting a live no, line right, that they got right, hit on right, right away. Right. They're up there putting five, six bets in or more. So it takes a little while with only four windows if you've got a line. Fortunately, there weren't too many people there. I had to wait maybe 15, 20 minutes as I was sort of going over my own lines. Yeah. And then uh, I stepped up to the window. Really easy to use. $5 minimum bets. Pretty awesome. I mean, if you're not that into betting, there's nothing better than doing like a $5 parlay for all the one o'clock games. You have something to yeah, wait for. Yeah. Um, in fact, there was a lady in Las Vegas, what was it, years ago that, that, um, I, she got beat on this somehow. She had to, she bet every, she parlayed every NFL game for like five bucks, maybe even two bucks. I want to say, nah, maybe it's 10, whatever. It was something to win an astronomical amount of money. Um, I think she hit every single one of them except for the very last game. Can you imagine that? That would be brutal. That would be brutal because it's, it's you're not. L- l- listen, folks. For those of you that are going to ever gamble, um, I had my day in the sun doing that, um, and played way too many games on every single day that I played. <laughs> you're not hitting. You're not hitting when you, the fifty bets you're making. You're not hitting forty nine of the fifty. You're just not. Chances are you're going to hit twenty four of the. 
20, 24 of the 50 and lose more money than you thought you were going to lose because of that. So just just know that. I know you t- told me you put just a handful of bets down. Sounded like it was enough to get you some winnings and, and, and have a good time with it, right? Yeah, I had a, I had a great Saturday because I won all three college bets. The That's other awesome. one was the Kentucky-Eastern Michigan score up to uh, 19 and a half and still took it. Um, and they won by 21. So I had a great Saturday. And then on Sunday, my cousin actually hit an eight-team, uh, eight-game parlay. Away. Wow. But it was only a $5 bet, but still, you end up winning a nice little chunk I of change say, off a $5 really bet. Really good so. chunk of change off of that. So yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, it's exactly what you want. It, it, get, it adds a little something legally. You can actually go back there this week now, put your slips back in and collect your money back out. It's not like Bovada where it's in some yes. ambiguous dark web place that they send you a check from China and you got to figure out how to get right. it passed no, that's, or anything. That's, yeah. it's, it's really easy and it gives you something to root for. So. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do Super Bowl-wise and what they do NCAA tournament-wise. I think it's I think it's got a chance to be... The NCAA tournament could be unbelievable. I think it could be they've, a lot of fun. They've got to set up more yeah, space I, somewhere. Well, I think they've got... I, for them, they wanted to roll this out before the NFL started. Of I course. get that. And they've got other things going on there on a Friday yes. night with bands and stuff. But, so I think they might have some th- something coming. Yes, I agree with that. All right. Let's get into those lines. Starting Saturday at noon, Miami at UC. The Bearcats are 16.5-point favorites. The total in that game is 49.5. I'm going to go UC 27-17. I, I think that they're still licking their wounds a little bit. I need to see more out of that offense. I, I, Miami, I thought, you know, if you go back to the Iowa game, I think Iowa's significant. They're a ranked team, so they're significantly better than UC. I thought, I thought physically Miami held up in the Iowa game for about two and a half quarters, and then Iowa just kind of wore them down, which Iowa should. But... You know, it, it took Iowa to wear them down to pull away. I just don't know if UC's in that mode where they can do that to anybody yet. So I'm going to go Miami and the under with UC as an outright winner, but not covering the 16 and a hook. I think that's a big number. All right. I'm going to go UC 35, Miami 14. Oh, you're not going to go 72 to nothing just because you're mad at Miami and you hate Miami irrationally? I don't hate Miami. I hate Jed Demusi. I think you hate Miami irrationally because you didn't get in. That's what I think. First of all. Am I right? Look, the Harvard of the Midwest oh, can't even gonna, spell recruiting correctly. I'm not going to answer that direct question. No, I never applied to the Harvard of the Midwest. Because you that, knew you couldn't get that in. That can't spell recruiting correctly. <laughs> Look, if Jed Demusi can get in, anybody can get well, in. Well, there is. Let's be very clear about that. There, there is that. I, I didn't I didn't think in those terms. Yeah. Well, I just thought your rationality is because you didn't get in. That's all. No, look, Miami is a, is a terrible football program, um, and they will lose to UC by more than 16 and a half. Roll oh, with. All right. So 35-14. So you're barely under then, right? You're a half point under. That sounds about you right, according to my math. Yeah, okay. a half right. point under. All right. You want to stay with it? All right. All right. Saturday, at, also at noon, Ohio State goes to Indiana. The Buckeyes are 15 and a half point favorites in this one. The total is 60 and a half. I think any more with Ohio State, when you play teams like this, you got to start with them in the 40s, somewhere in the 40s. Yes. I, I do. Yes. I, in fact, almost everybody I, I think they play, I got to start with them in and, the 40s. And by the way, that's why the total is 60 and a half. Yeah. I'm going to go 42. 21 Ohio State. So I'm going to go the Buckeyes and the over. I'm going to go 49-14. Ooh. So I'm going Ohio State and, and the, the over, over as So well. we both have the same total, both at 63. So we both think it, think it goes at least comfortably enough over. Yeah. Okay. And then Saturday at 7 o'clock, we've got Florida at Kentucky. This should be, I mean, it's things that Terry Wilson isn't playing, but this still should be a somewhat fun game with the way Kentucky has started here. Florida is eight-point favorites. The total in that game is 50. That total seems really high. Yeah, I, I, would agree I, I think it would have been high without the Terry Wilson injury. Um, I, I think Florida's better offensively. I don't think they're great. I do think they're pretty good defensively. I mean, they just wreaked havoc on Miami in week one. Now we also saw Miami of Florida and Miami of Florida is what I'm talking about. We also saw them, their second game, go to North Carolina and lose. So I'm not so sure how good Miami is. 
Um, I think Kentucky hangs around. It's hard for me to pick them to win it without Terry Wilson because I need to see Sawyer Smith. I think it goes way under. I'll go. I'll go Florida twenty four seventeen. So I'll go UK to cover and it to go under. I'm going to go Florida twenty eight ten. So I think we both agree. I think under is the under play there. I will definitely be making my way to uh, Hollywood at some point to place a bet on that. Just to place the under. Yep. All right, Skinny. That's it for the college games. Let's switch over to NFL though. On Thursday night, first we've got Tampa Bay at Carolina. The Panthers are favored by six and a half. The total for that game is 49 and a half. These teams suck. Both of them. <laughs> it's are an t- awful game. Terrible. Two terrible, terrible teams. Um, I mean, you might as well just hand it. These two are terrible. I like Atlanta. Um, and I'm kind of backtracking. I like Atlanta. They didn't play very well. But you might as well just hand New Orleans the NFC South now because of this. Yes. I mean, honest to goodness, these two teams are just dreck. Um, Carolina hung around. I think I think they're clearly the better team. And they're at home. I, I'm to the point where, where I'm about to give up on Jameis Winston. I mean, he just can't make big plays. He gets two, those two pick sixes at home against San Francisco. We'll talk about the Niners in a minute because they play the Bengals. I'll go Carolina. I think it'll be high enough scoring, actually. I'll go Carolina 31-20. Um, so I'll go Carolina in the over. Yeah, I'm going to say Carolina 28 28- to 17. So that'll so going put under. me at Carolina covers, but under so we, the we both go with 11-point spread, so we both think comfortably Carolina <laughs> wins this game for sure. Which brings us to Sunday at 1 o'clock. San Francisco comes to Cincinnati. This line, depending on what book you got it, it's one it's, point, it's one and a half volatile. point either way, and it keeps moving back and forth. But the book, the last book that I was looking at had Cincinnati favored by one. That's the last one I saw. The total in this game is 45. I think Frisco opens, opened at two. It went to a pick. It went back to Frisco as one, went back to a pick, then went to the Bengals one. So it's been all over the map. I, I, I like the Bengals. I... You know, Frisco didn't do a whole lot offensively. Jimmy Garoppolo was okay, threw for 188 yards. They ran the ball okay, but then Tevin Coleman got hurt. And they do have Matt Breida, but um, I don't know what Coleman's status is going to be for this game. I thought the Bengals defended. They defended the best rushing attack in the NFL from a year ago. Seattle led the league in rushing, and they dominated that group. Um, I, I think the Bengals get the job done. I think it, I, I think the offense does enough. I do think Frisco's defense is good, um, not just because of the pick sixes. I think it's a it's a it's a really solid group. But I mean, the receiving game, all they really got is George Kittle to throw the ball to. I'll go Bengals twenty three seventeen winners. Man, you are right. On. I was I was going to go twenty four seventeen Bengals. So right. I'm right, so there, right there with you. I'm not going to change my line just because you went first. All right. Mm-hmm. All right, that brings us to the Sunday night game at 8.20. You've got Philly in Atlanta. Philly favored by one and a half. The total is 51. You go first on this one. I'm going to go with Atlanta to win this game, and uh, I like it 27-24 Atlanta. So they, right on the number. Yeah, that would be you, you get a push. Push on the number. Give 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 me something. Give me twenty five or give me twenty three. Give me one or the other. Twenty eight, twenty four. Okay, twenty eight, twenty four. So you go. You'll go over. Yeah, I'm. I'm with you. I, Atlanta just looked bad. You know, they got a block punt early. They got behind a bunch. Twenty one nothing. Matt Ryan threw just one of the dumbest interceptions a veteran quarterback could ever throw when they were trying to make a comeback. Yes, he got a couple of garbage touchdowns. Thank goodness for my fantasy team because it bailed me out a little bit, but. I think that Atlanta offense is really good. I don't think they showed it. I think some of it is I, I like. I think Minnesota's the best team in the in the NFC North. I, pick, I picked them to win it this year in my picks column on local twelve dot com. Um, I think Philly's really good too. I think Philly's the best. I think I got Philly going to the Super Bowl. I think they're really really good. But 
I'm going to go Atlanta with the home opener, needing to win off that. You can't start 0-2. You just can't. So I'm with you. I'm going to go Atlanta 31-27. I think we get some points in, the, in this game. So I think it goes way over, and Atlanta gets the cover as well. All right, which brings us to our final game, Monday Night Football, 8-15, an absolute stinker of a game. The Cleveland Browns are two-and-a-half-point oh, no. favorites you, you, over the New York Jets. The total is 45-and-a-half. I will say— This is an interesting—this is really interesting to me. We do have a AFC North topic coming up, so we don't have to get into the Browns' okay. nonsense from last week just yet. Okay. Um, oh, I think this is extremely interesting. Look, the Jets— the, <laughs> Jet, the, the Look, on national TV, the Jets just— just handed Buffalo a win, right? Yes. If 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 you start badly in this game and suddenly things are going bad, can you imagine what that crowd in New York is going to be like? Not great. All right. The flip side is, how desperate must the Browns be? And if things go sideways and they go sideways even more in this game, does the implosion? I mean, honestly, do we start watching the implosion start in this game? I mean, and they have the locker room with the highest no, probability for implosion out of that's my in the point. NFL, we, probably. I, I thought the implosion might come if they started one and four. Might the impl- if let's just say I'm going for argument's sake. Say Baker throws a pick six in the first half and he misses OBJ and he throws his arms up and you look up and they're down twenty one seven going into halftime. I, does the implosion start in the second half? I mean, so I think this is a really interesting game for both ways. Whoever is the sideline reporter in that game, I will oh, be all over their Twitter feed at good, halftime. Good luck to you. But I, I do like the thing is like I'm not on the Browns train of suddenly they're this Super Bowl contender. I do think they have gr- much better personnel. I, I picked them to win the the AFC North, and I did that with swallowing very hard. Um, so I still think it's a good team. I don't think the Jets are. I think they're better. Um, I expected a little more offensively out of them that I didn't see. They did play okay defensively. I think some of that is Josh Allen's terrible. Buffalo's terrible. All that. I'm, I'm going to go Cleveland to bounce back on the road, and I'll go Browns twenty. 20- 319 and so it stays under so cleveland and the under i know i'm going to regret this i know i'm going to regret this because the jets stink but they are at home and the browns are the browns we should have known that before last week before they lost by 30 and there's no reason for me to believe that they're just gone brown yeah they're not going to just randomly turn it around from a 30 point deficit last week against a team that wasn't very good i'm going with the jets I'm going to say the Jets win 24 to 10. Oh, there's there's no way that offense gets 10 points. There's no way. You would hope. There's no way. You would hope. But I'm going to go 24-10. Jets, 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 but they okay. they do not cover the total. There you go. Both both of us have the game going under. Yes. All right. That wraps it up for our betting segment. Let's uh, switch gears to some national storylines, but this one has a Cincinnati slant to it still. Former Bengal Vontez Burfecht garnered a lot of praise after his debut with the Oakland Raiders on Monday night. Burfecht was in on six tackles and was the Raiders' highest-graded defender in the game, according to Pro Football Focus. He also received compliments on air and social media during the broadcast, as well as from starting quarterback Derek Carr, who said Burfecht was looking like, quote, an all-pro linebacker. Do you think the Bengals are going to regret getting rid of Vontez Perfect? Nope. In a single word, nope, I don't. For a couple of reasons. He's going to get concussed again. It just It's going to happen. It's, it, I'm sorry. I, I hate to say that. It's going to happen. He's had too many of them. So it's going to happen. He's also going to snap at some point. I've seen Vontez come back like this. I, I thought I saw that a couple of years ago when he was going to be suspended. And he came back and he played very well for a period of time. And then he snapped again. 
Um, look, he was great Monday. I, I, I kudos to him. Um, he looked like he, he was a leader, but I also saw a couple plays. And I think you probably saw it too. There's a running play, and guess what he does on the backside? Gives a cheap shot to a guy, knocks him to the ground because it's just what he's got to do, and he's going to cost his team at the wrong time. And Game that's one. The, that's the part that bothered me about the broadcast. The guys talking about him being a leader and being a peacemaker and all this mm-hmm. stuff, and it, like. Who are those guys? Have they do they not know who Vontez Perfect is? He has a well earned reputation of being a bad guy on the field. I, I just yes. didn't understand where all this praise was coming from, Randall. Like, hey, because again. of one, because a few few one time he separated people, and he also separated Antonio Brown and Mike Mayock right. apparently. So now, like, we're giving him credit for that? Yeah, no. I hey, look, everybody can turn over a new leaf, um, and maybe he has to some degree. But look, the the, the guy is what he is. He he's he plays recklessly. It, it, it leads to stupid penalties. It leads to him hurting himself. Again, I don't say this lightly. I'm not rooting for him to concuss himself again. I'm not. But he's just had so many of them. And the medical community will tell you, you have a, you have one or two, the next, the third one comes quicker, and the fourth one comes quicker, and the fifth one comes quicker. It's coming. It's coming at some point. So, no, I don't think the Bengals regret getting rid of Vontez Perfect. I just don't. And if he plays all 16 games, it makes the Pro Bowl. I mean, here's the thing. The dude wasn't a perennial Pro Bowl player here, okay? He was their best linebacker. And when he was really good, yeah, I could tell you, he was one of the better ones in the AFC. But the dude wasn't a Pro Bowl player. Some of that is maybe guys hated him around the league enough to not vote for him. But I never watched it consistently enough to go, hey, that guy, that guy. Clearly an I saw pro. it at times. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the sad part is... Probably the best game I thought he played in his career, that Pittsburgh playoff game, he was, he was obscenely good yeah. in every facet of the game, from rushing to stopping the run to coming up with a key interception late, and then he do what he do. Now, the one thing Vontez Perfect does have that I don't think he gets credit for because of the way he acts kind of like a meathead and an idiot most of the time is he does just have incredible football instincts. He seems to understand yes. where the ball is going. He seems to be able to jump you know, ahead of time and be in the hole early and, and, and fill the gap and make a play. And communicate it to teammates. When he's moving well and when he's now, clear-headed. The one thing I will say is he, him going through a full training camp was probably good for him because he actually looked like he was, he was in the— in shape yeah, for the first exactly. time in forever. And he, the, at, when he left the Bengals, I thought he was done because he couldn't move anymore. Couldn't for, move a lick. Forget the, the uh, concussions. Right. He just wasn't the same guy physically no. in terms of how he moved. Couldn't Last move year, he couldn't catch up to anyone. He couldn't fill gaps because he wasn't there on time. He was getting ran over because of it. Right. Guys were getting heads of steam before running over him. All that stuff— that wasn't there on, on Monday night. No, and he so, was active, moving, agile, all those things. From that perspective, I'm sure Bengals fans at times this year will look at the Bengals linebackers, see Vontez Perfect moving like that, and say, yeah, that would have been nice to have from a physical perspective. But I, just from the mental perspective and the, the type of guy he was, it, it was time to leap. He needed a, a change of scenery and, and, for himself yes. as much as the Bengals yeah. needed for themselves. Like, yeah. everyone, this is maybe he'll be great for the Raiders. Maybe he will have an awesome season and maybe he will make that pro. Bowl. I don't believe it. But even if he does, I, I find it hard to believe it would have worked out that way. Had he stayed in Cincinnati? Yeah, no. I think it was a win-win for both parties, um, regardless of what happens the rest of the way. Yeah. So I, to answer the question that you posed, do you think the Bengals reg- are going to regret it? I, I just, I don't, I don't either. I don't think the organization will at all. I think some fans maybe at one point or another during this year may say, ah, oh, man, that stinks. We got rid of him, but I don't think it's worth it. And the other part to it is, you know, maybe by default, um, the, the fact they don't have Vontez. If they had Vontez here, they probably still would be a 4-3 defense. Maybe we would have never seen him experiment with the five-man group. Good point. And I think that might be one of the changes I'm most excited about. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with you. 
All right, it was a wild first week of NFL action, particularly in the AFC North, where after tons of preseason hype, the Browns lost 43-13 to the Titans. The Ravens hammered the Dolphins 59-10 with Lamar Jackson starring at quarterback, and the Steelers got annihilated by the Patriots 33-3. Other than the Bengals, what was the most interesting AFC North storyline, in your opinion? The, the Browns by far. I know people might want to point to Lamar's throwing the ball. And, and hey, again, I have to give credit where credit's due. The guy made passes, and he I, I, I still question his mechanics. I still question when he has to make big throws, can he make them? Miami is just – that might be the worst team I've ever seen. It, it really – and that includes the 76 Tampa Bay Buccaneers that didn't win a single game. That includes the Browns from a couple years ago. That includes the winless Lions. The, they, they have made no bones about we're tanking, okay? Yeah. Now, defensively, I they have some parts. So, you know, carving them up that way. But obviously, that team – in a home opener, didn't even want to be there. You could see that from the output. So I want to see more of Lamar doing this. I, I asked this question to Tony Pike, a former quarterback. I'll ask you, because Tony's been on the Lamar train. My friend James Rapine, our friend James Rapine, he actually called into our podcast yesterday to to, to, to get his John Ross to taken, gloat. to gloat Good about John him. Ross. And I, we, we, we let him gloat, and he gloated a little bit about Lamar. And I posed this to them, both of them. The rest of the season, not including game one, the last, the next, over the final 15 games, if I set Lamar Jackson's touchdown passes at 15 and a half, do you take the over or the under? I take the over. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not saying you're... you're and that includes if he gets hurt, you can't... Because I still think if he's going to run this offense, he's taking a shot at some point. Now, I think they did a good job in that game of limiting him running and maybe moving forward with Mark Ingram in the backfield with him. They limit Lamar. I don't think we're going to see the days of Lamar carrying 16 to 20 times in a game like we did last year. And maybe that's smart on their part. Maybe. I don't know. I, the way they were talking in preseason, it sounded like they had intentions of running him a lot still. And maybe that was them blowing smoke a little bit. And I, he, he does look, have a, Hollywood Brown is a great added weapon for him. I will say yes. that. That's a great added weapon. And everything you're saying is correct. There's plenty of reason to be skeptical. It was just the Dolphins, a team that clearly doesn't even want to be playing. Um, and I... There is the big concern that he's going to get hurt. However, the dude's got skills. He's always had skills. He never, he's got a cannon. I just the mechanics just are a mess. It looks weird, but it's the fact that he is not just a playmaker with his legs, but a transcendent, electrifying playmaker. A, a guy. I'm not going to put him in Michael Vick's category, but he's kind of that next guy. Maybe like a Deshaun Watson-ish type guy. And Deshaun Watson got what hurt. Okay, and, and Robert Griffin III got what? Hurt. Look, it's not like everyone's going away from running quarterbacks. Now, the game is changing a little bit. Teams are open to having more athletic quarterbacks that can do more than just throw the football. You're right. So if you're going to look at guys like that, he's certainly one that deserves consideration for a starting quarterback. He, he was one of the most impressive playmakers I've ever seen in college football. That, that, no, no question about that. Absolutely no question so about I'm that. Not, I'm not saying that like he's definitely going to be a great quarterback in the NFL, but... He was worth the try, and he was worth a legitimate try, and hey. what he showed us on Sunday proves that their roll of the dice last year to have him start got Baltimore to the playoffs. Right. And I thought it was with a lot of smoke and mirrors, but hey, it again, was. I'm one, it look, was I'm, I'm highly critical of guys, as you know, and I probably make snap judgments, and people people are like, hey, you, you call wrong. I probably call way more right than I call wrong, and I could call this guy wrong. One thing I will say is I got to tip my cap to what the kid's done last year. I mean, down in the playoff game, brought him back with his arm in, in that game to, to almost win. Game one, I mean, game one was electrifying. And look, while the Dolphins are tanking, and we say that kind of, 
they're still out there playing. It's still right? NFL players. Yes, exactly. And, and, yeah, and, yeah. That, and that's my point to your smoke and mirrors thing. I don't disagree with you. I think that's exactly what they did. But you know as well as I do, you still have to be talented enough and yeah. good enough to make it work with smoke and mirrors at this level. And so he has something there. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be an, a, a star quarterback, but I think he's definitely a guy worthy of getting a full season starting as long as he can stay healthy. Dude's done nothing but win. He won big at Louisville. He won, He took a team to the playoffs in his first year. I, and I, I'm saying he took them. I mean, he took them. The, the change was him. That was the change. It was. And and this year, he starts off with, with a bigger bang than he did anything last year. He did a lot of things for that football team last year. So, I, again, kudos to him. I just, I got I to gotta see more of the passing moving forward. I just, I think if you're going to run him 15 to 20 times a game, or whatever that number is, eventually, you're going down. And, and I'm with you, though, that the Browns' loss to the Titans was the biggest. No. Story. I mean, that's just no question. How... The Titans are not that good, first of all. No, they're they're, okay. they're serviceable. They're okay. Yeah. Um, but after that offseason that you just had, I mean, do you think it was do you think some of the hype played into this, or do you think they're a disaster? Do you think the Browns are that bad? No, I think the roster's pretty good. I, I do. So I mean, we'll, we'll let's start with that. That roster's pretty good, but all that buildup, all that hype, guess what? Playing with expectations is not easy. Well, and the offensive line still is questionable to me. It struggled. You've got and, a second-year quarterback. And the 18, the thing is, if you look, the 18 penalties killed them, but they did commit them. The thing but is— That's the most Browns right. thing ever is having yes. 18 penalties. And, and it puts you off schedule. And and for, for Baker Mayfield, too, they got behind, and he started to try to force some throws, and, and that that happens in the league. You're trying to make some plays, and, and you don't. So that's why the score gets wonky. I mean, if they would have just kind of kept playing, maybe the score winds up 22-16. to 16, that They got behind enough where they had to, had to take some risks, had to take some chances. Um, but— for all the hype, all the buildup, all of that, you you can't have that. You just can't have that. Not at home. Not not with all the buildup. Not with Freddie being the guy. Freddie's the, Freddie might be out of a job in five weeks. I saw them get down, and I was like, oh, that's hilarious. But I was still very confident. I'm like, but they're going to come back. They they're kept, too talented. They, they kept got shooting themselves in the foot. A turnover here, a bad penalty there, starting first and 20 almost every time. The way the wheels came off was not good. No, and it wasn't. This is a very combustible locker room, I At, think. No, so, this team, as we talked about, it, that Monday night game, things could go haywire at halftime. It really could. So the, the thing about the, the Steelers, because, I mean, they're all three interesting storylines. I, I was just not on that sealer train like everybody else was. That that look, they're better off without Antonio Brown, and maybe they are overall. They're better off without Le'Veon Bell. I'm just I've not been sold on that defense for two years, no. and I'm not so sure how how are you. Antonio Brown was a playmaker on the field for them. He did so much for them offensively. Yeah. And look, I I get it. He needed to go. You don't quit on your team the way he quit on his team, and and the way he acted, and not part ways you had to do it but don't tell me you're not gonna miss him yeah i, I don't know don't give me that narrative i don't know anyone who was legitimately thinking that this pittsburgh team was going to be better this year than they were last year um and i think i was on the train that they were going to be a bit of a disaster i think they could be the worst team in the afc north i and didn't think that but after watching the after watching all four teams play i think they've got they've got a chance to finish last more than they have a chance to win the division. I agree. Their offensive line is bad. Yep. And Big Ben looks so old and slow back there. And eventually, you know what's funny? Eventually, and maybe it was just, again, we all do that. Like I said, we all overreact, right? Week one, we all overreact. But to your point... At some point, you're going to look up and Ben Roethlisberger is going to be old. It's just, it's it happens to all of them. He's other than, been getting old. Other than Tom Brady. 
He, he's been getting old, but the savviness, the strong arm, the fact that he can wiggle his way out of those arm tackles and keep a play the alive. The fact that he could throw a ball up to Antonio Brown and Antonio Brown go make a play. Well, that sure helps, and he doesn't have that anymore. Now, Juju Smith-Schuster is a heck of a player. Yeah, but now who gets all the coverage rolled to him? Juju Smith. All right, and J- James Washington striking fear in you? Not exactly. Uh, it's They've got problems now. You need to answer the bell a little bit because you were talking about how it was going to be time for Tom Brady and the Patriots last week. I, and I will I say, they looked unbelievable. That defense looked so young. You, you have to be on one side. If you don't think the Patriots looked unbelievable, then you have to think the Steelers were god No, I thought the, I'm with you. The Patriots looked unbelievable. Yeah, they did look unbelievable. And the Steelers, I thought, still looked pretty bad, too. Y- yeah, but... But no. I'm willing to give the Steelers more of a second week because of how good the Patriots look. They're winning the Super Bowl, in my mind. I don't see how they won't. I think you're at the stage of until somebody beats them. Although I, I love Kansas City. Now the Tyree kill injury, whatever happens there, I don't. Hopefully it's not long term. They still got they got so many freaking weapons. Um, they're they're just scary. I mean, it, it just feels like it's trending towards towards the same AFC Championship game. They're the two best teams oh, by so. far, and yeah. I'm not even sure there's anybody. Honestly, I'm not sure there's anybody close. No, not are the, in terms are of the talent. Ch- are the Chargers the third best? Are we agreeing the Chargers are the third best team? And if we are, if that's the case, the then the gap's big. It is, and. I think what you're looking for this year is who gets injured. Who yes. gets injured or what crazy storyline changes this? You know, whether what, if it's Lamar Jackson or something that in Baltimore's really like the next big team or something, they're going to be a, a powerhouse going forward. But I don't see it. I think those two teams are heads and shoulders above everybody else. Agree. All right, let's wrap it up here with the Antonio Brown saga, which sort of came to an end on Saturday, at least from a football perspective. Until the latest came out. Yeah, after a drama-filled preseason between Brown and the Raiders, he was finally released on Saturday, following him posting a video to social media that included a secretly recorded phone call between Brown and Raiders head coach John Gruden. Later in the day, Brown was picked up by the New England Patriots, and we thought we might see him as soon as this week against the Dolphins until... He was accused of rape in a federal lawsuit filed on Tuesday by his former trainer, Brittany Taylor. Now, look, in terms of the rape stuff, it's going to be a mess it, from what's it, come it, out it, so far. It's, it's very much a he said, she said to this point, And until it goes beyond that, it's hard to, we're to, not to know what's going to do. I will I say this. I'm not sure the Patriots can play him until it gets cleared up. I don't know that they can either, and I don't. You know, this might be a situation where they're so they're so early into it that they may just want to wash their hands of everything at some point and yeah, be done I, with them. I, I don't I, know how I, that works legally. I heard somebody nationally say that as I was driving in this morning that, that that might be the best thing, and I thought, well, I you know, just because somebody accused, I'm not sure you wash your hands. I don't think you can play him. Well, I, I guess just the thing with. He's got so much baggage already. He does. You're already going, reaching out on a flyer kind of to take him. I don't know from a legal perspective what you're allowed to do here, but if they're allowed to just kind of cut ties with him immediately, they may be best off just doing that and may decide that. Now, if they wait it out, which I is possible too, because they could take him in week 12 just as they could week two. I mean, yeah. they, they're fine without him. It's not like they need Antonio Brown, uh, but he will make them better. Well, let's go from in terms of in terms of Brown getting released by the Raiders and picked up by the Patriots. Do you think this was just a delusional idiot getting rewarded for acting like a child because he's immensely talented? Or do you think this was like a calculated move and he was able to get himself out of a bad situation into the best situation possible? I think it's a little bit of both. I, I, I do, too. I, I do. I, I mean, I, I look, he, the guy is crazy. The guy is honestly. He's got issues. Because it, it, it's not just the, if, if it was just this move in the vacuum of this move, but it's him tossing furniture off of a balconies and, and just he's just a nut and him quitting on his team last year. I mean, in theory, he was in a good situation in Pittsburgh. He had a quarterback who helped make him and he helped make the quarterback. He was in a perfect offense. I mean, they, they featured him and he was getting paid. And there was a lot of those things. 
for whatever reason, it never seemed like he wanted to be an Oakland Raider. Deep down inside, never. I mean, there was just so well, it was because he got one thing there. after another. Right? He's, I mean, he right. didn't want to be there. right. He got shipped there. Yeah, that was the best deal that the that the that the uh, Steelers, the Steelers could yeah. make to to get rid of him, get out from under him. I, I I don't know how the NFL can prove this, but. I mean, how in the world do you get released and five minutes later it feels like they had a deal hammered out? Well, and you know who his agent is, obviously. Well, sure. And so, th- th- obviously, there was communication going on before this happened. The question that you'd never be able to prove is, did the Pat- were the Patriots involved in this from the get-go saying, figure out a way out? Oh, I'm sure they were. Um, and it would be, and they would be smart enough to do it in terms of hypotheticals, right? Well, what about if a player had been traded to one team who was pretty good? Is there a way that he could get out from underneath that team and come to our team? Right, go make that work. Yeah, and that's and that's how they would do it, and it's not, it's something you could never prove. And with that's Andy, why it's impossible for anyone outside of New England to like the Patriots. And I want to like them. I, I they're one of the few, the one of the few teams that each year I I actually you know everybody I hate the Red Sox, I hate the Yankees, I hate Duke, I hate Kentucky, I hate Ohio's. I kind of like watching the Patriots. But I, I find it immensely hard to root for them the way they do business in, in almost every facet. Of course, they'll cheat at any... I mean, they've shown they'll cheat at any turn or they'll twist the rules or do whatever they can to get an advantage, and that's fine. It's football. And the biggest thing this whole Antonio Brown thing shows from the way fans have followed it to the way it's been covered in media to the way the NFL sends out memes welcoming him and congratulating him on his new new team with the Patriots. Like You would think this would be the thing they're like, we do not want anyone doing this ever again, <laughs> right. but they know. This is just a giant reality show or soap opera for not just men, but everybody. And it's the biggest one in the world. And that's the reason it's so popular. It's This whole thing is the most popular moment of the NFL season. Antonio Brown's saga the last week was it'll get more clicks and page views and everything else just in that first week of the season than anything else the rest of the year will get during the NFL. I promise you, ESPN licked their chops over this story. So from that perspective, the NFL doesn't want this to go away. They're fine with this happening. And so from that, it's so, it's similar to what the NBA guys are doing in terms of just saying, I'm I demanding want, a trade before I, my contract is and up. And I want to play with him there. Right. But it's it's a little different because Antonio Brown's also an asshole and showed his ass before doing it all. No Did doubt. it in the most unprofessional way possible. Yes, no question about it. And should not have been rewarded for it. He, he just shouldn't have been. I, I I get it. He's a great player. Look, I, there's one just a minute ago said Pittsburgh. You can't tell me he's not a guy that they miss because he's too talented not to miss. But you can't reward this. You just you just can't. It's a shame that it's a shame that, that you do get rewarded for this. Yeah, and that's the unfortunate you know part. If you're that good, you do. I, I hope that this lawsuit's true. I really do. I hope the lawsuit's true. I hope somehow, some way, that he never never cashes another nickel of an NFL check because of this lawsuit at the end of the day. I hope it's true, and I hope he has to go find a carve away to make a living and pay this, this woman off. That's what I hope. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to go that far, but I will say the guy, I, I do not, I find it impossible to believe that, you know, people are saying, oh, he's never been the same since CTE, and he got hit in the head, and that, he's acting crazy, he doesn't know what he's doing. I don't buy that. He. He is, he is not a guy that's out of his mind. He knows what he's doing. You've seen it, like the video he produced uh, with the call from John Gruden, the fact that they said he was reaching out to social media guys who I got to know who that was. Which social media expert did he yeah, ask, I know. how do I get out of this situation? Yeah. I think it's Gary Vaynerchuk because him and his brother own a sports agency, so they have connections to all these guys, and he's huge in like the black community. Um, so but, but, I, but why? Okay, I guess the question would be then: Why do you go back and apologize the one day, and then and then right after that go back to social media and, and say get rid of me? I, I look, I'm not going to put myself. If you wanted to blow space. it up, just blow it up that day. Go, I ain't apologizing for nothing. Right. 
Again, I think this was calculated. I do. I think he's an idiot. I think he's a jerk off. I think he did it in an unprofessional way. I do too. But I think I, he I, absolutely was trying to do what NBA players do. Yeah, get me to the best team yeah. possible. Get me in the best situation possible. Right. I don't want to play with punk ass Derek Carr. I want to play with the GOAT. <laughs> I am a little interested to see because I listened to Drew Rosenhaus talk about it and he didn't really clear it up. He said, I don't think the Raiders did anything wrong. I'd be interested to hear when Antonio Brown feels like they wronged him or what the disconnect was. I know it started with the helmet stuff that we know of, but I want to know like when did he feel like they weren't well, treating him because he tried to play the whole. I'm a, more than a football player role. Look, and there's a part of line. me too that might, maybe Mike Witt Mayak got wind of that. And that's why they said, you know what? We're going to find you then. Okay. You want to start playing these games? You're still a Raider. I'll find you. And I'll find you again. And guess what? I'll find you again. And if, and if you don't want to play for us, then we'll get rid of you and we'll move on. And I, you know what? God love the Raiders for winning the opener without him. Good, good for them. I'm, I'm happy for them, actually. I am too. I will say, if that was the case, if it was simply, if what started this was the whole thing, foot thing blew over, the whole helmet thing blew over, and then the only thing that started it was them saying, we're going to fine his ass for that, I think that's a bad play by the Raiders. Unless, again, maybe they, they, they just felt all along this was not going to work, and if you're going to be that kind of way, we're going to treat you that way. We're going to fine you. Your employee number 4,302, we're going to fine you because that's in our rules to be able to do that. Yeah, and, and you can certainly do that, and I think everyone will go, good job, way to hold him accountable. At the end of the day, though, if he was willing to come back and be a, a normal human being and play for your football willing, team. Was he willing in your opinion? I don't know. I really don't know. I don't think he was. I don't think so either because I think a lot of this was calculated, but I do think it was a bad move. If everything was going to be fine and that's where the disconnect started was you finding him again, I think that's a bad move if I'm the Raiders personally. They, they, They won and we'll see if Antonio Brown ever plays a game again. Yeah. Maybe maybe he won't. All right, a lot of good stuff, Rick. Appreciate it as always. Uh, we'll be back another uh, next week with more on local topics. Of course, we're right in the middle of college football, NFL season, so we got a lot to talk about each and every week. Reds winding down. We'll probably touch on them a little bit more and start to look ahead to uh, to the offseason uh, coming up. We're still a little bit of ways from that, so a lot to talk about each and every week. We do it every Wednesday. It's the Skinny Podcast, the Potpourri Edition. As always, it's presented by Joseph Chevrolet. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us.